This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. My brothers and sisters in Islam, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I don't know if you know what the topic is today, but I've called it trials and tribulations. In Arabic, the term used for trials and tribulations are two common words in the Quran and the Sunnah. In fact, in the Arabic language, they are normally called fitna or ibtila or bala. Ibtila. These two words are synonymous, they're similar, and they have the same meaning. But because the Arabic language is so rich, sometimes one word gives a deeper meaning and the other word gives you a different dimension. But they all lead to the same meaning. The word fitna and the word ibtila are the same meaning, the same result. It means trials and tribulations. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, وَنَبْلُوكُمْ بِالشَّرِّ وَالْخَيْرِ فِتْنَةٍ وَإِلَيْنَا تُرْجَعُونَ Which means, and we will, and we constantly are. وَنَبْلُوكُمْ We will, and we constantly are. This serves the present and the future. We constantly are trying you, testing you, putting you through the means of something called fitna, in bad and in good, and to us you will return. Allah in this verse, He said, we, which means Allah Himself, because those of you who have studied linguistics before, even in English or in any language, when you use plur plurality, when you say I in the plural form, or you in the plural form, as in you and us, for a single person, it's a word of royalty. I saw in one internet response to an, a Christian who said, well, look, in your Quran, there are many gods, because this says we and us. And this Muslim should have done a bit more research, said, we means Allah and the angels. No. The angels are not partners of Allah. We is the royal, linguistic royal word for a person who deserves to be honored. And they, he says, we. Such as the Queen of England says, we the Queen of England. Have you heard that before? In Arabic we say, نَحْنُ كَيْفَ أَنْتُمْ السَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ عَلَيْكُمْ is a plural word. You say it to one person, and this is a form of respect. So Allah says, We are constantly trying you in bad and in good, fitna, fitna, and to us you will return. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put bad before good. Now, bad for a Muslim, for a believer, for one who believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and understands why Allah has created us in this world, those who follow the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, his teachings and the true teachings of the Prophets before him, 
such as Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, and Moses and Abraham, alayhim taslim, all of them to the time of Adam salam, you will understand the pure meaning that whether you are going through a hardship of good or of bad, they are both good for you. But Allah put sharri wal khayri, bad first, then good. Why? Because what we perceive, what we see as bad in the general understanding of people, Allah is making us aware of that. If He said to you, and we will try you with good, then when you get sick, we perceive sickness as more of a negative thing. When you lose your wealth, we perceive loss of wealth as, what is it? Negative or positive? Negative. When we lose a person from our life, negative. So we call these things bad. Bad things have happened. We use the words bad luck, bad fortune, misfortune. But for a believer, good and bad are both the same, inshallah, because the result of it in the end is always good. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, amazed at the state of the believer. Hajaban li amri al-mu'min. Strange, I am so taken away by the state of a true believer. In asabahu khayrun shakar. When a good thing happens to him or her, they thank Allah, they're grateful. They don't boast and go overboard. They stay modest. They're thankful. Shakar. See the term used, shakar? Meaning it doesn't go overboard and doesn't go into state of depression either. But he or she, they thank Allah and they continue. They make a big deal out of it. Alhamdulillah, good happened. I thank Allah and I owe all my gratitude to Him. Now next, let's move on. Let, let, not, let, don't let me get ahead of myself and forget. وَإِنْ أَصَابَتْهُ دَرَّاءَ صَبَرٌ and when a bad thing happens to them, darra'a means a harmful thing. And when a harmful thing, a hardship occurs to him or her, what do they do? They are patient. They persevere. They persevere. They work through it. They learn how to get out of it. They learn from it. They look at it as something that is making them stronger. Sabar. وَإِنَّ كُلَّ أَمْرَهُ خَيْرٌ and all the state of the believer, whatever happens to him or her is always good, is always good. Meaning a believer looks at good and bad things that happen to him or her, that there is good in it. It is a good thing. And guess what? Have you ever noticed, for those of you who have studied or ever researched a little bit about comparative religions, other religions, Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, even atheists, in fact, atheists are on top of the list that Islam is the only religion in the world which looks at suffering in a unique way. It is the only religion in the world that tells us do not run away from suffering or how to overcome suffering. It doesn't talk about that. It talks about embracing suffering and that it is actually a good thing. But don't Go looking for it. Don't put it on people. But if it does happen, immediately it's transformed into something positive in a believer. It's like recycled into something. It's like you're a machine. Your heart recycles the suffering into something good automatically. And you grow out of it even better. 
all other religions and faiths, they talk about how to overcome it. That, they talk in a negative sense. Suffering is bad, suffering is negative, suffering. You will find the Sahabas of the Prophet wasallam. after I give you some examples, inshaAllah, how they perceived suffering in the most positive manner to the point where you would almost think that they were not human beings. They were not human beings. Why did Allah put that we try you in bad and then in good? Why bad before good? Because most, Wallahu A'lam, but as I've read from the scholars, the majority of trials that people go through in general are usually the things which we perceive as bad. A lot of people think that when they get sick, when they get divorced, when someone dies, when they get hungry, when they get poor, they lose their wealth, anything that they perceive as negative, they think that something God hates them. They think that God hates them, that they are truly bad people, that they are being punished, or that God doesn't even exist because a God like that will not do this to people. It's the atheists or the road to atheism. And most people assume, and I've heard this with my and I think you have as well, that when they are given good from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they sound like this. God must love me. Have we heard this before? Someone gets some good from this world, we say, Wallah, Allah, imkin bihibbak. Allah loves you. Who said that if you get a lot of wealth, it means that Allah loves you? And Ayyub alayhi salam, he lost his health, his wealth. How many children? 14 children. In one narration, the tafsir says it was 14 boys. Because in those days, the boys were more valuable for the holding, holding the name of a tribe than the girls. Because the girls get married and they, take the, they sort of are counted on towards the other tribe. She has children, they're counted to the other tribe. But a boy holds the name. 14 were gone. So now Ayyub alayhi salam has no health, has no wealth, and he has no children to carry his name. And he loves them and they all died. On top of that, on top of that, the people got the wrong idea. First they believed he was a prophet, now they doubted him. They said, if he was truly a prophet, God would not put him through such misery and ache. His most closest friends used to sit far away from him until finally they no longer visited him, no longer wanted to see him because they used to say, if he hadn't done something so bad, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wouldn't have put him through this punishment in this world. Does anyone know how, many, how long Ayyub salam stayed in this state? Seven. Seven years, according to the most reliable narration. He would have been more, but something happened. You see, his skin used to drop off his body. You could see his muscles underneath the body. And sometimes, if you look deeper, the bones. 
Allahu alam what this sickness was. But it could have been something about regenerative skin that develops rapidly, very quick. So when the skin develops very quick, begins to drop off your body, exposing your flesh and exposing you to all sorts of viruses and bacteria, which causes infections and death. But Yuyub didn't even die. Pus and blood, a smell, a stench that came out, subhanAllah, from a Prophet of Allah. The only one that stuck by him was his wife because she was trained by her husband, the Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa But even her, she couldn't last very long. For when she started to work, but she couldn't work as much, she is a weak woman. Until finally, she began to cut from her hair, to sell locks of her hair. In those days, hair was valuable, horse hair or human hair. Human hair was very valuable. And sell it just to make ends meet. One day, it says that she entered and he... She said to him, why don't you ask God to cure you? You're a prophet of God. He can easily just say it. And why are we in this misery for this long? And Ayyub said to her, if Allah gives me health, I will whip you 100 lashes. Because he knew that the shaitan, Iblis had come round. In those days they could see him and he spoke to her. Saying to her, tell him to ask God, he must, you know, leaving you in this state and so on. So he said, I'm going to whip you 100 lashes. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ashaddu bala'an al-anbiya, thumma al-amthala fal-amthal. The most who suffer the most in this world, in trials, are the prophets of Allah. Then the ones who are similar to them in character. Then the ones after that, then the ones after that in that degree. Another hadith, which is in Tirmidhi, that the Prophet ﷺ told us that every person is tried with all sorts of things. If their iman is found to be strong through that trial, their bala, their trial is increased. Their trial is increased. For trial with Iman go hand in hand. Ayyub alayhi salam, then when he saw his wife losing her hair, he did not even ask Allah to cure him. He said, Rabbi, Masani rahimin Oh my Lord, harm has attacked me. Harm has overcome me. Harm has touched me, and you are the most merciful, the one who gives his mercy repeatedly. Didn't even attribute harm or bad to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for no harm or bad can be attributed to him. Only we see it that way. But when we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not harm you for no Allah subhanahu will not harm you. In fact, if you see something that is harming you, it's only because he wants good out of it. Brothers and sisters in Islam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem, Bismillahir rahmanir rahim, Ahasiban nasu an yutraku, an yakunu amanna billah, an yakunu amanna billahi wa hum la yuftanun. 
وَلَقَدْ فَتَنَّ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ فَلَيَعْلَمَنَّ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ صَدَقُوا وَلَيَعْلَمَنَّ الْكَاذِبِينَ Did man assume that they will be left alone just to merely say I believe? I say La ilaha illallah. I believe. I'm a Muslim. I'm a believer. I believe in my Lord. وَهُمْ لَا يُفْتَنُونَ and they do not expect that they will be tried with this word. They will be tried against it. Allah knows and will surely know that who of you, Allah says, we have tried those before you. So why should you be free of that? And Allah will truly know who of you was honest and who of you was a liar. Honest about what? A liar about what? Honest about your statement. Your claim. I believe that there is only one God worthy of worship to Him. I owe everything from Him. I came to Him. I return. I accept Him as my Lord. I accept Him as my controller. I accept His decree. I accept His qadr. And I believe in what He has brought to me. Allah says, well, I'm going to test you with that word. Whether you are honest if you said that, or whether you are lying. When a person is tested, then their true colors really come out. When you want to get married, the colors of flowers and love hearts exist at the time of the engagement, right? If it's short enough. If it's too long, then you're tried. Then you get married... And then Allah makes you both a fitna, a trial to each other. When you find the faults in each other and get used to each other and no longer patience is there, what happens? A person's true colors start to stand out. Isn't that right? This is the state of the humans. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Man was created weak. So beware of that weakness. Turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say we will know who is truthful and who is a liar? Doesn't Allah already know who is truthful and who is a liar? Yes, He does. But let's reverse it. What if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, I already know who is a truthful and who is a liar. So let's just pass this life and go into the day of judgment and then I destine you to heaven or paradise or hellfire without any judgment, without any trial, without any going through this world, with no test, nothing. The immediate response of a normal human being whom Allah has given choice and has given their own intellect and has given them their own control of themselves, meaning over their choices, will immediately respond. My Lord, I've done nothing. I haven't done anything. I believe in you. I... And they'll say it sincerely. Like again, when they first engage the couple, all their words are absolutely sincere because they haven't yet known and experienced the ugly side. So what is there to be worried about? Isn't that right? When you meet a stranger, it's very easy. Hello, how are you? The smiles from here to here because you don't know them. But when you start living together and you know each other's faults, then the true colors are shown. Are you really loyal? 
Are you really loyal to your parents when you say, I love my parents? How much time do we spend to be with them? How much do we show them you know, love by sacrificing our own needs for their pleasure? How many of us, we fight for our rights? My right, your right, their right, my right. In fact, when we take a group photo together, and you look at the photo, who's the first person you look at? Yourself. <laughs> My sisters would know a lot about that because they love photos. And you're good, but control that. Control Facebook. Don't go over your heads about things. Calm down. So, my right, rather than focusing on what my duty is, what is my duty? What is my obligation? Has anyone thought about that? What is my duty, rather than what is my right? Because Allah on the Day of Judgment will not ask you, did you know your rights? Did you fight for your right, as for yourself? No. Allah is going to say to you, did you do your duty? Did you fulfill my commands? Did you fulfill what I advised you, what I guided you with? Did you give other people their due course? Why did you take the rights of others? Like my rights, my Lord, don't worry. I will give you back. But where's the sacrifice? Didn't you know I will try you? I will take things from you. Then you will say, my Lord, I have no excuses. You have tried me and I have failed. Or you have tried me and I hope that I have passed. So you have to go through trials so that you will know and you have no response to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, no one will have any excuse to come up with because everything's going to be clear. And no one will enter. Rasulullah told us that no one will enter hellfire unless what? They are convinced that they deserve it. And the people who enter Jannah know why they enter Jannah. Not because they deserve it, because of Allah's mercy. Rasul said, By the one who possesses my soul in his hands, no one will enter paradise just because of their good deeds. What? You donate a hundred dollars and now we feel that Allah has to give us firdaus for it. Rasul said, Not even I, except if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showers me with His goodness and with His mercy. So we enter paradise with Allah's mercy. My brothers and sisters in Islam, the word fitna comes from the Arabic word taken from the goldsmith's work, goldsmith when they produce gold or silver. We say, فَتَنَ الذَّهَبُ Which means, the goldsmith cleansed and purified and sifted until he or she produced the pure gold and the pure silver. What a beautiful meaning for the word fitna attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we say Allah makes fitna, it's not in a negative sense, meaning causing trouble between people. This is attributed to us. We cannot make fitna. The word fitna means to sift through, to divide. To divide what? To divide the good from the bad. 
to cleanse, to purify, to produce the what? The purity. This is why the word fitna attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came from the original word of the goldsmith or the miners who produce the copper and all that. And then it goes through a huge process. Gold goes through a huge process. Chemical applications to it. Heat. They have to melt it and they have to sift it. It goes through a huge process. They don't just get it out of the ground like that and it's gold. There's copper on it. There is uh, other metals on it. There is grime on it. There's all, all this other stuff. And they have to sift the gold and recycle it and recycle it and sift it and recycle it and cleanse it with chemicals and heat until finally you get 9 karat gold, 18 karat gold, 24 karat gold. The 24 karat gold being the, being the purest of the three and the most expensive. And people will kill each other for it. Tribes and countries will fight for it. Isn't that correct? So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and we shall try you with bad and good as a fitna, it means we shall cleanse your hearts and we shall divide the good from your bad within yourselves with what? By putting you through trials of sifting and hardship. Who has children here? You will know as parents that when a good parent who raises their child is not a parent who gives their child everything. Am I right or wrong? Your heart tells you you want to give them everything. Why? Because you love them. Yes? I mean, my own child, my son sees something he likes. Sometimes I, I really want to get it for him because I love him. However, as a parent, my proper mind tells me, but if you keep buying things from him, he'll grow up to think that everything can come like that, easy. So I need to strengthen him up because he doesn't know in the future what he is going to face. When you become an adult, you have to work for your own things. Your parents are not always going to be there for you, right? There are people who are going to bully you, so you need to strengthen up. You can't sit there crying all the time. You need to be able to know how to stand up for yourself, how to work around things. You need to become strong. You don't grow muscles without going through strenuous exercise, weightlifting, strict diet. You don't lose weight without going through strenuous exercise and also by depriving yourselves of the things that you desire. A person who wants to lose weight doesn't say, Oh Allah, why have you deprived me? You look at yourself and you say, Why have I eaten bad stuff for my, for my body when I knew it's going to make me fat? When I knew it's going to give me heart attacks, when I knew it's going to give me aneurysms, when I knew it's going to give me all these sorts of diseases and problems. So you abstain. You yourself do fitna to your body when you want to lose weight and get healthy. Is that not right? You sift through. So why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala try us with fitna? It is in order. He gives you the answer in the Quran. It is a sifting and a division between what is pure and what is impure and what is there better than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala making fitna to our hearts Allah said he does fitna to us let's use the word cleanses purifies for fitna yes Allah cleanses our hearts and purifies our hearts with bad things and good things in fact the worst fitna is good things. You know why? 
because the good things can make us forget. The good things can make us become spoiled. The good things can make us become selfish. We see it. It is not haram to have good things, not haram to have luxuries. It is not haram to have a nice house or a beautiful car or wear nice clothing. Yani a rajul entered when the Prophet ﷺ was sitting and he said, Allah hates the people who challenge him with kibriya, showing off, pridefulness. A man entered and said, Ya Rasulullah, some of us like to wear nice clothing and nice shoes, you know. We're not showing off in it. Look at me, I'm wearing a huge cloak or a robe or a nice pants or these, you know, expensive shoes. No. Rasul said to him, Inna Allah jamilun yuhibbul jamal. Allah is beautiful, He loves beauty. It is not that which I am talking about. Al kibir is batarul haq wa nas. Refusal of truth when it comes to you and looking down upon others. And you know what? When too much good happens to a person, they start to get this disease sometimes. The shaitan, brothers and sisters, listen to this very carefully. The shaitan works in footsteps. You all know that, right? But we don't understand how he works in footsteps. We don't sit there analyzing how. We have three th elements in our bodies. The body, the health, the heart, the qalb, or the mind, and the spirit. Spiritually, mind, and health. The shaitan waits for any gap in any of these three and attacks you from them. So have your spirituality healthy, have your mind healthy, and have your body healthy. He attacks you from all those corners. A tiny gap he will go through. So be careful. When good happens to a person too much, the shaitan attacks you through that gap. And he says to you things like this, God must love you. If you were a bad person, he'd take it all away from you. Look at you, mashaAllah, you pay your zakat. That means you must be beloved by Allah. Number three, he says to you, it's good, Allah has given you all of this, so use it for yourself. You deserve it. Spend it. Don't worry. Until finally a person begins to develop a selfishness where they begin to forget that they are weak. They can forget that Allah can take it easily away from them. They forget that there are people who have been deprived and they are better than them. So they begin to want more for themselves to the point where they feel that they're better than others. And when you feel that you are better than others, it means that you will have a problem accepting the truth about your faults from people. And a person like that can look down upon others. Who is this person coming out from nowhere? I am of status. I am from this family. I am of this blood. I am married to so-and-so. My brothers and sisters are so-and-so. I've got this. I'm known like that. People on Facebook, they send me birthday wishes in the millions at night. People, look how many likes I have. They're, these people are losers. At school, I have more friends. I said to one of my students at school, because I'm a teach, teacher at school, so one person said, you know, I feel miserable. I said, why? And he said, well, what's so she was a, a, student, a girl. She said, in year eight. She said, uh, you know, I just don't have much, many friends. I said, how do you know that? She said, I only have one or two friends on Facebook. I, you know, not many people want to like me or add me. I said, well, what's the difference between you and others? She said, well, everyone has a hundred, a thousand, two thousand. I said, wouldn't you rather have two honest, truthful friends than two thousand fake ones? 
She said, yes. I said, then be happy and stop whining. Come on. You're strong, alhamdulillah. Inshallah, Allah loves you. Inshallah. And inshallah, you're on the right path. Okay, all these 2,000 friends are there just to hear the gossip. Don't worry. And if they talk about each other, they're going to talk about you. She says, yeah, actually, they do talk always. They always talk about this person, that person. I said, well, then two good friends are better than 2,000. Inshallah. So now she looks at it in a different way, inshallah. My brothers and sisters in Islam, sometimes you develop bad habits in your life and you don't even realize anymore that people are looking at you, looking at you in a bad way. You've got bad character. You've got anger problems. You've got revengeful, revengeful agendas. You develop extreme hatred even to your own family. You love the wrong people too much. You might feel that you begin to backbite and you don't even realize you're backbiting anymore. You feel that you swear, but you don't even remember that you're even swearing anymore. Years back, if you delayed a salat, you felt like the whole world had ended. Now, you may feel like it's only salat, I've still got time, I can pray it later. And even if it's a bit delayed, it doesn't matter, I'll still pray it, make it up. Maybe now we even don't even pray our prayers anymore. Maybe the fajr is not all that important, I'm just too tired, Allah will understand. I used to go to the masjid, now I don't. It doesn't matter, I'm still praying. Before, when I approached something haram, a mixed wedding with men and women dancing to music together. Before, when I used to listen to rock music and pop music, I used to feel like there was iron melted into my ear. Now, it doesn't bother me much anymore. You know what's happened? The heart... It's become dirty again. The gold, the purity inside has been covered. It's been covered with other stuff. Stuff that is unwanted. Stuff that is only deceitful. Allah says in the Quran about those who lo lose their hearts. Look at the description. <laughs> means absolutely not meaning whatever you're thinking it's wrong their hearts their hearts their hearts were covered so much until they become became rusted as a result of what they used to do. So our actions develop bad habits until our hearts became rusted. These people on, on the Day of Judgment also be covered and sealed away from their Lord. That's why Ibrahim السلام, used to say, Oh Allah, make me among those when on a Day of Judgment, no wealth and no children will help them except whoever comes with a clear, pure heart. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us among those who come on a day of judgment with a pure heart. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. So this heart now needs to be cleansed. And the only way that it's cleansed is unless we go through some kind of suffering. I know some people who, subhanAllah, they became very ill. And over months, uqsimu billah, 
many of them changed on the inside. You begin to love them. And the people around them began, began to become affected by them and change as well. When you become good, the people around you become good, especially people you love. And you send out a beautiful vibe. This heart is what we need to work on, my brothers and sisters. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, أَلَا فِي الْجَسَدِ مُضْغَ إِذَا صَلُحَتْ صَلُحَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ وَإِذَا فَسَدَتْ فَسَدَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ أَلَا وَهِيَ الْقَلْبِ Behold everyone, in this body there is a morsel of flesh. If it is good, the rest of the body is good. And if it is corrupt, the rest of the body is corrupt. Behold, it. this organ is the heart. Whether it's health-wise, the mind or spiritual, this heart has an, has an effect. And heart in Arabic doesn't necessarily mean only the organ that pumps the blood, but it is something within here that is unexplainable. For the heart continues to pump even after death, and you can transplant the heart. But something in here, this consciousness, this thing, this feeling, is what we want to change, inshallah. So to sift through is the reason for fitna and ibtila, and what an effect it has. Don't you realize sometimes if you're driving in the car and then suddenly a car suddenly appears in front of you on the roundabout, what happens to you? Huh? Shock, fear. And after that, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillah, Astaghfirullah, La hawla wa la quwwata illa You're in the aeroplane, starts turbulence. What happens? Everyone. Bismillah, Ya Allah. Christians, O oh God. Atheists, if there is a God, now I ask you. And Allah tells us in the Quran about the people who travel in the sea and when the waves begin to climb on top of them and they fear that death is inevitable. They call upon Allah sincerely towards Him. If you were to save us from this, we will be among the good ones and the believers in you. Allah says, but when He saves them to the land, they will start making partners of Allah. In another verse, some of them meaning they start to mix again, break their promise slightly. And what Allah says, they make kufr, meaning they hide away what they had promised. They hide the ni'mah, the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There was a sahabi, no, a tabi'i by the name of Urwa ibn Zubayr radiallahu anhu. As Zubayr ibn al-Awam was a companion of the Prophet one of those who was promised paradise. Zubayr ibn al-Awam radiallahu anhu who married Asma, the daughter of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. He had a son named Urwa. He did not meet the Prophet sallallahu was among the first generation after him. Whom the Prophet sallallahu said about them, Khayrul quruni qarni. The best among all generations are my generation. Thumma yalunahum, thumma yalunahum. Then the ones after my generations. Then in third level are the ones after them. Urwa ibn Zubayr was among the, first, the second generation after the Prophet sallallahu what happened to him? He grew up to become one of the most amazing scholars. The people used to flock to him in Medina to learn of him. He was a man of such wisdom. And the meaning of wisdom in the Arabic language is 
to place something where it appropriately belongs. That's what wisdom is. If you have that, you have been given too much good, too much wealth from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A man of wisdom, a man of knowledge, a man of iman and taqwa. What happened to him? He grew up in the time of the Khalifa Al-Walid ibn Marwan. And he had a son, a very handsome son who was very eligible and he loved him a lot. He was his great friend. The Khalifa invited him one day. So he went and the Khalifa showed them horses, stallions. To the Arabs, the stallions are something huge. They value them so much. And Ur ibn Zubayr's son, Muhammad, he loved stallions as well. And he loved to ride on them. And if the Muslims are in need of warriors, he loved a good horse. So he was a pious man. As he rode on one of the horses, subhanAllah, qaddar Allah, that he, his horse trampled and he fell. And the horse trampled over him until he died. So Urm ibn Zubayr's favorite son, the oldest one, was taken away from him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No sooner than he had buried him, he discovered a pain, a sickness, a disease, a discoloration in his legs, and they found out that it was gangrene. You know gangrene, the disease, if it's left untreated, it begins to spread rapidly until it kills you. So, Al-Wadwan got all the best doctors, and they said to him, there is no way out of it. We must amputate this leg. We must cut it off. There is no way out. And if we leave it, you're going to die. So he agreed. They said to him, because of the pain, we need to give you an intoxication. He said, Allah. No way. I will never use something which Allah has forbidden. For no peace can come from something which Allah had forbidden. It may work, but no peace will come from me from it, for me from it afterwards. Yani, a person can use haram if there is no other means for a necessity. However, Urwa is a great scholar and a role model. He resorted not to use it. He said, they said to him, we will tranquilize you. He said, listen, the best tranquilizer for me he used to recite a quarter of the Qur'an every day. This was his word. A quarter of the Qur'an every day. His tasbih and tahmeed and la ilaha illallah were his intoxication. Can a person reach that? Yes. The heart can. You know how I know? Of today's modern world and all those romantic movies they make. She's intoxicated with love. I can't feel my legs. They're numb. He sees her. She sees him. Somebody whole carry me. Huh? Don't they say that? Have you ever seen in cartoon movies? He sees her, drops his jaw. They slap him, he's not there. <laughs> intoxicated with love. These Sahabas and these Tabi'een were intoxicated with the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes. Yes. So he said, amputate my leg while I make my dhikr takes me away. Now obviously he does feel pain, but he makes him stronger. That's all it was. You know in the American movies, in war, come on soldier, you can hold on. Hold on soldier. 
fight for your country. Yeah, isn't that right? And he's there and his legs getting amputated and he's screaming. Right? No, they'll hold on. Love for your nationality. Well, this is love for Allah, the creator of all nations. All nationalities, if you like. The creator of the world. The creator of all the colors. He began and he, they began to cut through his flesh. As they were cutting through his flesh, they said, all we can hear of him is a loud noise of La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar. So if you're in severe pain, instead of saying a four-letter word that begins with F, why don't you say La ilaha illallah? Why don't you say Astaghfirullah, Allahu Akbar? You know, I know a friend back in Melbourne. He's not a alim. He's not yani, someone that's very popular. But I learned from him something that so valuable to the end of my life. I will teach it to my children, children's children, insha'Allah ta'ala. I'm going to share it with you. Very simple, yet very far-reaching effect. If you get it into your habit. He was driving one day, going to pick up his son from the kindergarten. As he was parking, doing a parallel parking, the tire hit the curve. Now you know that when you get your license, this is the biggest thing. Don't let the tire hit the curve, right? So if it hits the curve, it hit the curve. What's going to happen to me now? So his tire hit the curve. He was startled. He said, Astaghfirullah. I ask Allah to forgive me. I said, brother, you haven't really sinned. Yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not something that Allah has said hellfire for those who hit the curve. It is nothing like that. So he said, <laughs> so he said, and he's from Uganda, right? He'll be, he'll, be, he'll be okay when he sees this, inshallah. And he said to me, what? Oh, no, 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 no. I know it's not a sin, subhanallah. I know. Um, I, it's just that when I was a child and I grew up, my father taught me, or whenever you're startled or shocked, instead of saying any other word, he said, I got used to my tongue saying words that Allah loves. So when I'm startled, I automatically say, astaghfirullah. A friend of mine back in Melbourne, I won't mention his name. He went to Hajj one day. And one of the ulama of Medina, very popular alim, he came out. He said, I didn't know which alim was, but I saw guards and I saw a lot of people around him, right? And he said, I looked at his face and I loved the face. He goes, it looked like Noor was coming out. He said, I couldn't help myself. This brother's a bit funny. And he, he's got a nice heart, mashallah. He goes, I jumped through the crowd. I grabbed his face and kissed him. The alim was Ibn Baz, Ibn, Ibn Uthaymeen, Ibn Baz, because he was blind. He said he was blind. And I grabbed his face and kissed him. And he got shocked. And the first thing he said was, Astaghfirullah al-Azim. I go, what happened to you? He goes, the guards began to bash me all the way out. <laughs> but, true story. I said, I wonder why he said, Astaghfirullah al-Azim. There's nothing haram in that. And when this friend of mine told me about the curve, I remembered that. Said the ulama taught us this. When you're startled, you don't know what happened. Say words that Allah loves. Because imagine if you are shocked and the car is coming straight towards you. And the last words were La ilaha illallah or astaghfirullah. And you died. Can you imagine that? So when these things happen to us, we remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we die in a state of belief, insha'Allah. Let us remember that. If we get used to not yani, getting the best out of suffering, then all we do is we're going to swear. We're going to hate. We're going to get revenge. 
we're going to disbelieve in Allah. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, listen to this hadith. He said about the future. He said, Allah showed me the future. Fitanun qad qita'im minal layli muzlima. I see fitan, plural, plural word, showering down upon you from the skies. Can you imagine a heavy storm with rain falling upon the homes? And he's talking to his sahaba. He's saying, I see soon in front of you. Fitanun qaqita'im minal layli muzlima. They are in the night. Night fitan, meaning they are trials that you will not even be able to recognize them. They are falling upon you from the sky like rain in a thunderstorm. In the future, more fitan are going to occur. And he said, يُصْبِحُ الرَّجُلُ مُؤْمِنًا وَيُمْسِي كَافِرًا وَيُمْسِي مُؤْمِنًا وَيُصْبِحُ كَافِرًا a person will arrive in the morning, a believer. By the night, they have disbelieved. Or will arrive in the night, a believer. And by the morning, they awake disbelievers. Why? They sell their religion for a little bit of gain from the world. The more... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you ibtila, the more you are safe, my brothers and sisters. So long as you are patient, so long as you turn to Allah and don't give up on Him. The more that you, you struggle through your suffering and you are patient, the more you know that Allah is putting you through a trial and not through a punishment. Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullah and other scholars, they say, how do you know if a trial is a punishment for you or a test? They said, by the way you react to it by the way you react to it. If you lose yourself, it's a punishment. But if you are patient and you continue to do your duties which Allah has told you to do, then it is a trial. Urwa ibn Zubayr, which I mentioned before, when his son died and his leg was amputated, they cut through the flesh until they reached the bone. And when they started to saw through the bone, he went unconscious from the pain. When he awoke, the pain had gone and subsided. He grabbed his leg and he wiped it with his hand. And he said to it, My dear leg, Wallahi, Wallahi, I have never used you to go to any place that Allah dislikes. And I have only used you to only go to the places which Allah likes. Arju, I have hope that you will be a good witness for me on the day of judgment. Then he kissed it and he ordered for it to be washed, perfumed and shrouded with kafan and buried. And he made the Salat al-Janazah on it because it's part of his body. Naam. Our legs and our hands, our feet and our eyes and our ears, they're all going to be witness against us or for us. Yes. And the mouths will be sealed for those who debate. Inshallah, we are not one of them. We will accept. When he returned back to Medina and the people saw him, his students in the thousands, they saw him on a stick with an amputated leg without his son. They feared upon him and they said, he immediately said to them, do not fear. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala an'ama alayhi. He was kind to me by giving me four sons. And he has taken away one of them. And inshallah I will see him again. And left for me three to enjoy in my life. He gave me four limbs, my arms and legs. He has now taken away only one of them from me. And left three for me to enjoy in my life. Everyone started to give him words of goodness. But the best of them, and I forgot his name subhanAllah, one of his best students who became a alim later on. He said to him the best words. He said, O Imam, although Allah has taken your son and taken one of your limbs, he left the best thing about you for us. He left for us your knowledge and your understanding and wisdom. Allahu Akbar. You know the Prophet said, the, ula, the Anbiya, the Prophets, they did not leave behind them the legacy of wealth, dirham and dinar. His people did not inherit from him. His family did not inherit from Prophets wealth but what did they leave behind they left behind them the legacy of knowledge whoever takes this knowledge has received so much fortune so much fortune this is what we need brothers and sisters in Islam do not ever despair over something that afflicts you in bad and do not forget Allah when good afflicts you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by doing what he has commanded you with it. Sadaqa, zakat, get away from jealousy, get away from jealousy and selfishness, and so on and so forth. And remember that Allah is cleansing you. Allah is cleansing you. My last bits of advice are this. I want you to be aware of a few things. Does anyone know in our time today, now, what is the greatest fitna? which the Prophet ﷺ feared upon us. Hmm? Women? Wealth? Money? The Dajjal. So women? Wealth? Money? Dajjal. Anything else? Fighting amongst each other. Attachment to the dunya. Same as wealth and money. What is it? Pridefulness? Now, Fear of death. Actually, no. Rasul told us there will come a time in the future, future where a person will sit on a grave and say, I wish I was here instead of you because life will be so miserable. Now, <laughs> but good one. Good akhi. Jazakallahu khayyun. What do you think it is? Well, it's a bit difficult to know, right? But Allahu A'lam from the scholars I have read from and the ones I have heard, and I think it makes sense insha'Allah, in the first degree, it is wealth. Wealth. Ad-dunya. It's the greatest trial upon us here. Greatest trial. Without wealth, you cannot eat. And without eating, you cannot have women. You won't desire them. Because there's no energy. Isn't that right? So wealth comes before. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told us, it is not faqr, it is not poverty that I fear upon you in the future, my ummah. It is not that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will strike you with poverty. For I have already asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not to take over my ummah completely in the misery of poverty. And subhanallah, you can see the direct ummah of the Prophet 
especially in the Arabian Peninsula. They are flourishing with wealth, are they not? How wealthy are they in the Emirates now? Huh? From being barefooted shepherds to the highest tower in the world in Saudi Arabia. Hmm? They flourish. So we can see that wealth is not the biggest problem for us. Not really the biggest problem. I mean poverty. So why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fear that upon us? He said, I fear the world upon you. His hadith is in Bukhari. He says, I fear the world upon you. That the dunya will be vicious over you. Like wild beasts. It'll be like a wild beast over your hearts. فَتَنَافَسُوهَا Then you will begin to compete against one another. Brother here said that we will fight among each other. Why? This is true. Because of wealth. Because of wealth. فَتَنَافَسُوهَا You'll begin to compete against one another for it. As those before you competed for it, until it destroyed them. How did it destroy them? In the past, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent upon them destruction. The others, their hearts were destroyed. They were gone. They lost themselves. The dunya today is the greatest fitna upon us. We find today in one family, they will divide. They will swear at each other. They'll disown their own uncle or auntie or brother or sister or father or mother for wealth. For a dollar extra. For a dollar extra. They'll divide. And they'll compete. You know where the biggest competition among the ummah is for wealth? Guess where? Inside a unit of family. Inside a family unit. For example, a person... Allah gives them provision. Their brother gets married. Then they begin to get jealous. How come your brother has this much? You're not a man. Why can't you do like your brother? So then he starts to work hard. Forget his, forget his wife. Forget his children. Only to compete with his brother. Families will kill each other for inheritance. Allahu Akbar. They will disown each other so they can inherit from their fathers and mothers more than their, other, their brothers and sisters. They'll hide, manipulate. We see this. We see this. Become so spoiled that if we go to a, a place to eat and a brother is Muslim trying his best to make that food for us, it's nice, it's not bad, right? But... Uh, you know, he adds too much onion here, so I'm just going to go to the other restaurant. I will go to a Jewish restaurant. I will go to a Christian restaurant. Nothing wrong with it. But I will go there because I will avoid the Muslim. Because their food is slightly better. Slightly. It's creamier. The salt is just right. Over there he adds maybe two or three pinches extra. Malish. I will buy from here even if I know that this particular place sends from their wealth that you give them to Israel... And then we sit there saying, poor children of Palestine, my heart is out to them. But I will continue this way. Ya akhil kareem, ya ukhtil kareema, your brothers and sisters in Islam, if they don't disrespect you, 
Try and help them as much as you can. Sacrifice a little bit. You know, Wallahi, a brother said to me, you know, I go to this place, their food is, is nice, okay? It's bearable, alhamdulillah, it's nice. And this brother charges a little bit more. Wallahi, that $2 extra that I give him, I know that this brother, I see him at the masjid, he pays zakat. He pays sadaqah. See that wealth is getting? He pays 2.5% of it every year. And it's part of it is from what you, came from you. The others don't pay zakat. The others don't pay sadaqah. To a place where Allah loves, for example. So why not? As much as we can. It's not haram to buy from a non-Muslim. Please don't get me wrong. Yeah, and he wants to know when you go here, you go, it's alright. But to sit there and ridicule Muslims' businesses, putting them down, saying how bad, putting bad reviews on the internet. Ya Akhir Rasulullah said, Whoever believes in Allah in the hereafter, let them say something good or be silent. If you have nothing good to say, just go away, be silent, don't make any comment. Now we have to put our brothers and sisters down. And you know why we talk about each other the most? Because we are closest to each other. Family talks about family. Wallahi, on Facebook, I keep talking about a rubbish book. Facebook, I would have said another name even in Arabic, but I'm sitting here, I don't want to be too rude. Facebook has a bad smell. If you use it in the wrong way. And unfortunately, 90% of the times we use it in the wrong way. Go up there ridiculing other Muslims, ridiculing others. Why? Just so we can get fame and fortune. Even our family, even our wives, our husbands, and it's there forever. The second fitna that the Prophet ﷺ said in the second degree, yes, someone said it, it is the fitna of women. Now, I don't want my sisters or anybody here to assume, even the men, to assume that this is literally, literally, that the women are the cause of, our, of the men's harm, and that the men are innocent if it wasn't for the women. If this is what you understand, Inshallah tonight, you must change that understanding. Not one alim on the face of the earth ever interpreted this, ay this hadith that way. Not one. For this contradicts our sunnah if that's what we're saying. What does it mean then? The fitna of women in our sharia, when Rasulullah speaks to men or to women, usually it means to all the mu'minin. So, if a man desires women and begins to go after them, they are lacking iman. And if women desire to be attractive and they take off the hijab for the purpose of in making men interested, then they have shared in this as well. Yani men, sometimes there is no woman in front of them, but then they go out of their way in order to follow their lusts in the haram way when Allah subhanahu wa has made a halal alternative. So men and women, Otherwise, there are women who are so pious, believing, full of taqwa. The hadith is not including them. This is what we mean. Rasul is Isra al Maraj. He passed by the fire and he said, I saw in the fire a type of women I have never seen before. I've never seen the likes of before, not even among the disbelievers of the time of the Prophet. The customs of the Arabs and even a lot of the Romans in those times and the Persians, they had to compared to today very modest dress. Compared to today, they're in niqab. <laughs> so Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, I saw a type that I've never seen before. Nisa'un ma'ilatun mumilat. 
He said, I saw a type of women, they got clothes on, they, they're clothed, but it's as if they are still naked. They walk in an attractive fashion deliberately and looking attractive through their actions and walk. They have tied their hair up in such a way that it stands out for people in order, for the purpose of people to look in a lustful way, in a desirable way, in a negative way for the lusts. They will not enter paradise nor smell its fragrance. Rasul talked about them. Transparency and tight clothing. And Rasul told us, Allah says, He speaks to the men first. O you who believe among the men, lower part of your gaze. Then he said to the women, Say to the believing men, then he said, say to the believing women to also lower their gaze. Second. So it is both the man who observes and follows and the woman who plays the role in attracting as well. He said that there will be so many of them. Why do I fear this upon yourselves? Because men will begin to desire them more often and forget their salat, forget their dhikr, because that's what prevents you from that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَخَلَفَ مِن بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ أَضَاعُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَاتَّبَعُوا الشَّهَوَاتِ فَسَوْفَ يَلْقَوْنَ غَيَّا And then came after them a generation. They forgot their prayers and instead they followed their lusts. They shall meet in front of them a terrible misery. So when we leave the consciousness of our salat, the closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what replaces it is the love of lusts and temptations. Naam. Because we, wanna, we, wanna, we want to uh, satisfy this nafs, this heart with these desires. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Whoever leaves, من ترك النظرة لله عوضه الله حلاوة من الإيمان يجدها في قلبه. Whoever leaves the looking of haram for the sake of Allah, Allah will exchange it with a sweetness of iman that they will feel it inside their hearts. Thirdly, Allah subhanahu wa taala, Rasulullah tells us that there is another fitna, which is called the fitna of oppression. We have that today, but not as much as the wealth. Alhamdulillah, in Australia, we are not oppressed. We don't live in oppression, alhamdulillah. So what are we whining about? We live actually in luxury, honestly. We create oppression for ourselves at times. Wallahi, in marriage, there's nothing wrong yet. We can sort it out. Wallahi, we can sort anything out. You know, a peanut can be turned into a walnut or a coconut if you want. Yani, a pebble can be turned into a mountain. And a mountain can be turned into a pebble. Why all these problems in our marriages? Because we want too much and we forget to understand each other. We worry about our rights rather than our duties. Naam! Husband and wife sit there. <coughs> she says to him, why aren't you giving me? He says to her, what have you given me? Tayyib. Sometimes his brother visited me at home. There's a book on my shelf. Fatwas for women, fatwas for men. He grabs fatwas for women. <laughs> You're a man. Sister comes along, grabs the fatwas. For... 
for men. Why are we learning about these things? Because the man wants to know what is against the woman for her to shape up. And the woman wants to know what's against the man for him to shape up. But what about yourself? Are you perfect? Are you an angel? Didn't you know that if you fulfilled your own obligations, then your rights will automatically be met, inshaAllah. You do what you have to do and leave the rest up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do not oppress by doing that. There are many other fitan, my brothers and sisters, that occur. However, we get tested in all ways, brothers and sisters, with our wife, our husband, our wealth, our house, our health, our wealth, our cars, our mental state, loss of lives, loss of luxurious fruits. We get tested with our education, with our schooling, with our time. We get tested even with boredom. We get tested even with salat. You pray, you get tested. How much will you struggle and persevere? We get tested with the Qur'an. How much will you continue to recite it? Or when will you give up? We get tested and tested with dua. You keep asking Allah and you think that it hasn't been resolved for you. So you give up on dua. You give up on your communication with Allah. You, are, yeah, you have just failed the test. Persevere, my brothers and sisters in Islam. I swear by Almighty Allah, at the end of the tunnel, there is, there is a happiness, insha'Allah ta'ala. But be patient, persevere, keep your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala no matter what. And calm yourself down, insha'Allah. When you do wrong, make istighfar. Return, return, return. If you have harmed people, ask for their forgiveness. If it's going to make it worse by asking for their forgiveness, then mention them in good among the people whom you talked bad about them in front of them. Or if you can't do that and it's not uh, practical for you to do that, then talk good about them wherever you go and make dua for them in goodness. My brothers and sisters in Islam, I, finish, I end it with this ayah in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ عَلَيْكُمْ أَنفُسَكُمْ لَا يَضُرُّكُمْ مَنْ ضَلَّ إِذَا اهْتَدَيْتُمْ O people, you are to be concerned about your own affair. Be concerned about your own state of Iman. Be concerned about your own faults and fix them. Those who are misguided, if they annoy you, they cannot harm you, if you are guided. So stay guided, insha'Allah. Worry about what you have put forth. And let us meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with a book that contains much asking of forgiveness. هذا وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله